Well, Easter is, traditionally speaking, a very special Sunday for Christians and has been for a long time. It is not in its theme distinct from any other Sunday that Christians gather. So every Sunday for almost 2,000 years now, for the church, it is Resurrection Day. Every Sunday is Resurrection Day. Not just Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Day. In fact, the early church, right after the death and resurrection of Christ, started worshiping together as a church on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was resurrected, to be a weekly celebration of the victory and resurrection of Christ. So, Easter is a special Sunday, but I say that so that we remember that every Sunday, every Sunday is special, and every Sunday is made possible because of the resurrection of Christ. So if you haven't already, would you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? If you're visiting, it's great to have you today. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. There should be one in the seat back in front of you. And you can follow along with us there. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that with you. We normally here at Veritas Church go verse by verse through the Bible. Currently in a series going through the book of Genesis, where we've been for 11 years now. And uh feels like it. Just over a year, a year and a half, I think. And we've got about uh, six weeks to go there. And then we'll take a, a short break and then get into the book of Colossians. And then today I chose for our text, as Pastor Curtis read, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The year this letter is being written is probably the year 62. It's being written by the Apostle Paul. When he's writing it, he is imprisoned in Rome. And he is writing to Christians in the city of Ephesus. And they are called Ephesians. That's who he's writing to. So, let's pray. And we'll take a look at God's Word. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for gathering us together today so that You would be worshipped. God, we know that this is one of those Sundays where attendance is up. God, we know that there are many. We're so glad that some of them may be here with us who rarely step foot into a worship service. And this may be their day, God. So we're glad they're here. And we're thankful they're here. And God, we pray that this would be a special day, especially for them that they would hear something they have not heard before, and they would believe something they haven't believed before, and you would bring transformation to their hearts. We love you, and we hope for this, we pray for this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So our main text today, verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, is a prayer. So we're reading a prayer today. Paul, often when he would write letters to Christians, he would include his prayers in the letter. So he, would, he wouldn't stop and then 
pray and then get back to writing his letter. He just he just keep writing. And specifically, the prayer here is a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. He's telling the Lord first and the Ephesians who are sort of listening in now, reading his letter, what it is that he is thankful for. We're going to read through it. And I have two hopes today. Two hopes. Hope number one, that you would all be encouraged to pray like this. That you would all be encouraged to pray like this. I hope if you're a Christian that you would think about your prayer life and think about your prayers and you would hold it up against Paul's prayer here. And that you would be encouraged to pray more like this. So you can write out your prayer on a transparency sheet, if you like, later. And you can lay it over Paul's prayer. You can compare them. I'd encourage you to pray more like this. Many of us uh, feel maybe too free in how we pray. And we don't think about maybe how God would like to be talked to. And how He would like us to ask Him for things. And how we would like our communion with Him to go and our conversation with Him to go. Now, we don't want to get so wooden with that that we just feel paralyzed and can't pray. Oh, should I say this? I can't say this. Or I don't know about that. Or, we don't want to become paralyzed. But on the other hand, we can become all too free where we don't consider how God has asked us to go to Him. That's why Jesus looked at His disciples and said, this then is how you should pray. Evidently, they weren't praying well. You should pray like this. Here's how you should start. Here's what should be in the middle. And here's how you should end. And we listen to that and we say, okay, I want to apply that. We'll read Paul's prayer today. Think. Be encouraged to pray like this. My second hope is that Paul's prayer would be answered in you. So Paul is going to pray and thank God in the middle of this Thanksgiving. He's going to ask God to do something for these Christians that he loves. And I'm praying that my hope is I'm praying that God would answer Paul's prayer in you, which means that there's Christians that I love, and that's all of you, and I'm praying, as Paul was praying, that God would do this for the Ephesians, that He would do this for all of you. Those are my two hopes. You'd be encouraged to pray more like this, and that God would actually do this and answer this prayer among us. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, three words, for this reason, for this reason. So Paul said something, and now for this reason, I'm going to say something else. Now you think like this, you talk like this, I'm hungry, for this reason, I'm going to eat. I'm tired. That's a truth. It's a statement. For this reason, I'm going to sleep. I love you, son. For this reason, I'm going to pray for you. So everything that you do, there's a reason why you do it. You're not an animal. You're not an animal. You have reasons why you do the things that you do. Paul has reasons why he does the things that he does. And when he prays like this, 
there's a reason he prays like this. He's about to offer a prayer of thanksgiving, and we might ask, what is the reason for this prayer? And he tells us in the words following, and he tells us in the words previous. First of all, right away, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So that's a good reason to be thankful. That's a good reason to be thankful. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and I have heard of your love toward all the saints. Paul loves these people that he's writing to. He loves them. And they love God and they love one another. And he's thankful for that. And he's thankful to God for that. He doesn't say thank you for being such great people. Who is he thanking? God. Why is he thanking God? Because who's made them these people? God has made them these people. So he stops in front of them and says, I am thankful for you. But, that's one reason for this reason, but I think the previous 12 verses, the previous 12 verses are the real bedrock of this prayer of thanksgiving. If we really want to understand why He is offering up this prayer of thankfulness to God, we have to look at what He just said. Because it is for this very reason that He comes to God with a thankful heart. And the previous 12 verses actually speak not about the people Paul is writing to, but rather the God who loves them and the God who loves Paul. Now this prayer of thanksgiving, verses 15 through 23, in the original Greek is one sentence. This is one long sentence. His prayer is one long sentence when Paul originally wrote it down in the Greek. And the bedrock reason behind this prayer, verses 3 through 14 is also in the Greek one long sentence. So you have here in verses 3 through 21 two sentences. One is the bedrock of his thanksgiving, and the other sentence is his thanksgiving. And those three words between are for this very reason, right? The bedrock is who God is and what he's done. For this reason, here's my prayer. Of thanksgiving. So let's read those verses first. What is it that's got Paul all excited? Why is he so thankful? We're going to read here the great concepts of election, redemption, and inheritance. You get excited about these things? Paul did. You get excited about election. Get excited about redemption? You get excited about your inheritance? See, I don't have an inheritance. Parents aren't leaving me anything. (laughs) Spending it all. They've got the bumper sticker. (laughs) Spending my kids' inheritance. Terrible. You do have an inheritance if you belong to Christ. You do. And so this is these are the concepts that Paul has just gotten finished explaining. 
Now let me say this before we read these verses, because here's the truth that spurs Paul on to thanking God. And I think that this is different from how many of us operate. We tend to have the spur of the moment thanksgiving prayers when there is an experience that feels really good in our life. So something really good happens. Thank you, God. That's not what this prayer is. This prayer is Paul sitting down with a pen and a piece of paper thinking about doctrine. (laughs) Theology. Who God is. Who man is. The trouble man is in before God. What God has done to bring remedy. When God has done it. How God has done it. And this causes... He didn't just get a raise. He didn't just get some worldly good news. It's him and the Lord thinking about what God has done. Writing it down on paper. He says, hang on a second. Hang on. I need to thank God. And so this is what he writes. One sentence, remember. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. For this reason, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you because I know who I am and I know where I would be. I know where I could be. I know where I should be. And I know where I am because of you and not because of anything good or great or wonderful, spectacular, special, unusual in me. So for this reason... 
because I have heard of your faith, Ephesians, and the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may... And now in this prayer of thanksgiving, he's going to ask God to do something. That God may do something among these Christians. So when Paul prays, he remembers this church in Ephesus. And he thanks God for them. Thanks God for creating them, for making them, for building them, for saving them, for sanctifying them. And then he asks God to do certain things in their life. Now pay attention. How does this man pray? And be encouraged to pray like this. So he thanks God and then he asks God to do certain things in their life. That's what he just said. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may... Let's read what he says. May what? May give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And let's stop again. Because he's saying a lot here. Some of you are still thinking about verses 3 through 14. That was a lot. That was a long sentence. And you're like, I understood 10% of that. The 10% I understood was really good, but I can't wait to understand the other 90%. Well, actually, what Paul is now going to pray is that God would help them to understand verses 3 through 14 and to understand it more and more and more as they live their lives. He says, God, may you give them, and this is my prayer for you, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, and then we're going to see mainly that they would know His plan and His power. We'll get there. But that's what He wants them to know, His plan and His power. Not just hear about it, not just read about it, not just articulate it, but to know it. To know it deeply. He says to have their hearts enlightened. Now hearts in this culture, in first century Greek language, means something very different from when we say hearts today. When we say heart, we mean emotions. We mean feelings. And when they said heart, they meant the core of your being. They actually meant something closer to your mind than your emotions. That the seat of everything that you do, Proverbs 4.23, the heart is the wellspring of life. So everything that you do and everything that you say and everything that you think, it has a beginning place. And that beginning place is your heart. It involves much more your mind and how you think and what you know and what you believe more than what you feel in your emotions. Their word for emotions, the way we use heart, was bowels. Bowels. And we just ditched that one. <laughs> just doesn't, I love, you don't see that card. <laughs> oh, sweetheart, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> my intestines yearn for you. <laughs> what? But that's what they would say. 
There's actually a verse in the Song of Solomon where he's saying, I find you so beautiful that my bowels are moving. (laughs) A bowel movement. I think that's actually more true. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is where I feel emotion in my guts. That's where I feel emotion. If I'm nervous, I don't feel it up here. I mean, it beats, but I don't feel it up here. I feel it here. If I'm really happy, if I'm really excited, I don't, I don't feel it here. I feel it here. They were on to something. Let's change that. We should start doing this. Start talking this way. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean just that your emotions, God, stir up their emotions, make them feel really good. He's saying brighten, shine light into their minds, into the very core of their being, so that they would know certain things and believe certain things. Enlighten them, God. That's his prayer for these people that he loves. So here's what Paul is doing if you want to take a step back and look at the whole book of Ephesians. In the first part of chapter 1, Paul declares what Christ has done for us. And then in the second part, he prays that we'll understand it. And then in chapter 2, Paul declares our position in Christ. And then at the end of chapter 3, he prays that we'll understand it. And then in chapter 4, he tells us what to do. Finally, in chapter 4, he says, okay, do you get it? This then is how you should live. But he spends three chapters saying, this is who Jesus is. This is the Gospel. This is who you are. This is doctrine. This is theology. This is truth. And then he's saying, do you get it? Do you get that? If so, this then is how you should live. He doesn't start with, hey, cut it out. Quit it. Stop it. Do this. Don't do that. And if you look at his writing, that's always how Paul writes. If you look at your Bible, that's always how your Bible goes. It is not first behavior. It is belief. And belief prompts the right behavior. And you all know that you can behave well and not know God and not love God. And your lips can say one thing and your heart can be far from God. So Paul labors, and he labors in this letter. He's writing to this church, in this church, like every other church he's writing to, they've got some problems, and they've got some issues, and they need to stop doing this, and they need to start doing this. But where does he invest his time first? Do you know Christ? Do you get it? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? And then he stops and he prays, God, help them to understand Stand this. Incidentally, parents, don't just tell your kids what to do and not do. Don't just tell your kids what to do and what to not do. Christians, don't just tell each other what to do and what to not do. Talk about who Jesus is and who we are in Christ and why then we should behave in a certain way. Isn't this what 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6 says? Similar prayer from Paul. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 
But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. So Paul is saying there are things you need to know and you can know everything in this world and not really know anything of any significance and any value. And there is much, and hear this, human being, there is much information that is accessible to you today. But there is knowledge and truth that is only accessible to you if the Holy Spirit Himself reveals it to you through the Word of God. And there is no other way you can get it. You can't even get it by just reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit has to teach you what truth is. What God's Word says. And what Paul is saying is that there are millions of people walking around and roaming around thinking, saying, I know it and I got it and this is my IQ and I'm intelligent and I'm successful and I'm accomplished and this has worked well for me. Who are saying, I don't need to know anything else. And he's saying, no, there's a lot you need to know. There's a lot you need to know. And Paul is then praying what? Praying. He's pleading with them and sharing with them and then he's praying, God, come underneath these words and teach them. Enlighten their hearts that they may know this and believe this. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Ephesians 1, 3-14, those are the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's one of the primary reasons for the Holy Spirit, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit. Why does God send His Holy Spirit? Because without His Holy Spirit, you will understand nothing. And you'll go to church your whole life and you won't understand anything. And you'll memorize half your Bible and you won't have a clue what it's actually saying. But if you are a Christian, then you have received the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you may understand these things that are only spiritually discerned. By your Spirit? No, by God's Spirit. So what is Paul praying? That they would know that they would know God give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation having the hearts of your having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so friends there are things you need to know there are things you need to know and you cannot know them apart from God you cannot know them apart from God. Some of you, when I read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, were thinking, I have no idea what that's talking about. And others in this room, you need to know, were thinking, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And a proper response would be for you to cry out to God. 
Say, God, will you make sense of this to my heart? Will you enlighten me? Will you help me get this? And that's what Paul is praying for these people that he loves. Do you pray like this? Or are your prayers more superficial? A pretty deep prayer, isn't it? We just go straight to God, make them quit doing that. I mean, that's my go-to prayer. God, just, just make my son stop that. God, just, just, just help me to quit this. Just help me never to do that again. Well, that's a very superficial prayer, and it's a very shallow understanding of, of how God operates, because the truth is that God uses means to get you to a point where you won't do the things that you do, and you'll start doing the things you should do, and He uses those same means and the people around you, and He tells you what those means are. So why not pray that God would enlighten the hearts of your children, and your own heart? and your own mind, that you would know and you would believe because you're reading the Bible and seeing, if I really know this, and if I really believe this, I'm not going to do these stupid things anymore. And I'm not going to say these stupid things anymore. And I'm not going to think like this. And I'm not going to act like this. And I'm not going to behave like this. Because when I behave like that, there is at the core a belief problem. So what am I praying for? I'm praying for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God and that the eyes of my hearts would be enlightened that I may know. That we would know some things like He asks God to help these people know. The second half of verse 18. The eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the first thing, and it is simply God's plan. God, I pray that You open their hearts to understand and to know how good You are and how good You've been to them. Yeah. Let's pray that they would know that. I pray that they would believe that. So is this what we pray for? Is this what we spend time talking about? I find that I just spend so much time talking about the imperatives and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And, like, and I do that with my kids all the time. Instead of just talking about why they should do these things. I, I catch myself all the time. The verses I quote are, do not do this and you should do this. And I'll just talk about it over and over again. And I, I have to think in their little minds, they're like, Dad, I'm not dumb. I, I understand that. That is not complicated. I should not do that. I get it. We've read this verse before. <laughs> and to my shame I don't spend as much time as I should expounding the verses that they need to believe that they need to know I don't pray as I ought that they would know them and they would believe them because if they would if they would they'd go to Christ if they would, they, they wouldn't be caught up in the things they're caught up in to the degree they're caught up in them. We pray like this. And the second thing that he devotes the most time to in his prayer, the most words to, he introduces in the beginning of verse 19. And the second thing that he wants them to know, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power Toward us who believe. 
So the second thing is His power. So He wants these Ephesians. He says, God, help them to know Your plan and help them to know Your power. And then He has five verses dedicated to the explanation of the kind of power that He's talking about. So He wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to... So now He's going to describe, and we'll read these, what it's like. What kind of power does a Christian have? What is the power that He wants these Ephesian Christians to know that they have? And He says, well, this power is according to... It's like this power. It is the same kind of power as this. And then He goes through and He tells them what it's like. And He's praying this that their hearts would be open to see this because He knows that if they would see what God sees, if they would understand this, they would live so differently. So God, just help them to know the immeasurable greatness of Your power that is in those of us who believe. What does He say that it's like? It's a few things. Like, the end of verse 19, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. So I want these Christians to know what kind of power is in them. What power is in a Christian, friends? It is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you know any power like that? Have you ever seen power like that? Makes me not want to use the word power again. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. That's the one thing we all know we can't escape. Death. And only one has conquered death. Only one has beat death. Jesus Christ. And this is the immeasurable greatness of the power. It is portrayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power, this is what that means, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is active in you Christians. Now please, I'm sure that just went in one ear and out the other. I mean, that is just one of those things that we have heard, but if we really believed that, our head would just pop off. <laughs> the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is active in you. Do you see why Paul is praying? He's praying, God, God, may these Ephesians not just read this verse and hear this verse and say they know this verse, but may they... Appreciate it. May they rely on this truth. May they believe this truth. Next. And what else? With Jesus. Seated Him at His right hand 
in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The power that is active in a Christian is the same power not only that resurrected Jesus from the dead, but the same power that made Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That kind of power dwells in the Christian. The devil and his demons, according to Ephesians 6.12, have been put under the feet of Jesus. Colossians 2.15 He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This is the immeasurable greatness of His power. And it is, according to Paul in this prayer, toward us. This is great power. This is great power in a Christian. He keeps going. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I think we could try to grasp this for the next 30 years and never even scratch the surface. Let me read this all together, this description of the power. Paul is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power. What kind of power? The immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. May they know that power. So my hope would be that you'd pray like this for people you love. But my second hope, remember, is that God would do this among us. That we would know the immeasurable greatness of His power. Now let me conclude asking this question. I think it's crucial. What is this power for? I mean, everyone wants to talk about having power. That's great. Yeah. Got power in me. Great power in me. 
immeasurable greatness. Powerful in Christ. We think of verses like Philippians 4.13. You know it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Power. We like those. That's what Evander Holyfield had on his boxing shorts. <laughs> Philippians 4.13 I can do all things. What was his all things? Pummel this guy. <laughs> Pummel him. Is that what the power is for? Is that what God is talking about? Is that what Paul is hoping these Ephesians can do. So what is this power for? Because we're kind of left hanging if we don't answer that question. Okay, I get it, Paul. I get it. There is great power within me. Now what is this power for? And we'd have to keep reading for a while in his letter to get to what this power is for. Because it's a while before he tells the Ephesians what to do. So you got all this great power, and great power so you could do something. What am I supposed to do with this power? Well, he doesn't tell them until chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I therefore, therefore, in other words, all these things that I've talked to you about, Christ, what He's done, your position in Christ, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, okay, what is it we're going to do? What's this power for? To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Is that not as exciting as you were hoping for? Is that not as glamorous? This power that Christ gives us is not power to accomplish what we want to accomplish. It is not power to be successful in life. It is not power to be leveraged to get whatever you want to get in this life. It is here, as Paul words it, it is power so that you can what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Friends, do you know what the great things are that we do for God? So we have these ideas, I think, in, in, in American culture. We have these dreams and visions that this is the great thing that I'm going to do for God. And we pursue these great things we do for God. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to write this book because God needs another book. I'm going to be this preacher. I'm going to be this pastor. I'm going to have this kind of influence. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do these great things for God. Now that's all fine if you want to do those things for God, but God is much more concerned not with what you do, but how you do whatever you do. That you do all things, whether you eat or drink, to the glory of God. 
that you live your life and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So if you accomplish great things in this lifetime, and you don't do it in a manner that pleases God, then it means nothing. And the power that Christ gives you is actually not to accomplish those things that you want to accomplish. It's to be godly while you're accomplishing them or not accomplishing them. It's to be holy while you're being successful or not being successful. It is to honor Him. It is to glorify Him. It is to fight sin. It is to mortify sin. It is to get out of bed in the morning. That's the power that God gives you to get out of bed and overcome despair and discouragement and depression and honor Him for another 24 hours. That's the power of God. And so many Christians can get caught up neglecting this. Not seeking the mundane work of bringing honor and glory to God in whatever you do. And doing holy things in an unholy way. Friends, God's not glorified in that. He's not glorified in that. He hasn't asked you to do that. You find this pattern in all of Paul's letters. Close by reading a few of them. Galatians, he does the same thing. Galatians, you need to know this. You need to know this. You need to know this. Why do we need to know this? Chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He wants them to walk by the Spirit. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, You need to know this for two chapters. You need to know this. You need to know this. You need to believe this. And then he gives them an instruction in chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or we could go to Romans, where for 11 chapters, 11 chapters, Paul says, You need to know this, you need to know this, and you just picture them getting impatient as you know, practical 21st century Americans. That's, what do we need to do? And what do we need to do? And what, what goes on my task list? And what do you want from me? And how should I behave? And just give me something simple and tangible and practical. And for 11 chapters, he just says doctrine, theology, believe this, believe this, know this. And then finally, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Power for what? Power to bring honor and glory to God. Is this the passion of your heart, Christian? Is this your great desire? Is this what you want to do? Do you want to make a name for yourself? 
Do you want to increase your reputation? Do you want recognition? Do you want to be accomplished? Do you want to be successful? And do you want to be seen as those things? Do you want to be admired? Do you want to honor God? Well, what has God called you to do? Well, he may have called many of you to various things and may have called some of you to different things and he's called me and probably called me to different things and he's called you, but we can be very clear on what he has called all of us to do. And we can be very clear why he has given us the power that he has given us. And it is so that we may what? Be a living sacrifice. Walk by the Spirit and not gratify the flesh. Live a life that is worthy. Worthy. Live it in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received. This is what power is for. To honor and glorify God. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, our prayer is that You would unleash Your power in us. That Your power would be unleashed in us so that, so that, God, we may honor You. So that we may live differently. That we may be a city on a hill. God, may we not just be a Christian version of the world. But may we be Christians. Completely and totally devoted to Christ. Our personal lives, our families, our hobbies, our work, our relationships, our endeavors, everything shaped by our devotion to Jesus Christ. And in this, may we be a light in this dark world. God, I pray for those who are here that do not yet know You and do not yet love You that they would come to know You now and to love You. We pray that You would draw them to You. And that the eyes of hearts would be enlightened today. That You may be glorified. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.